0: Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship that explores connections between the public worship practices of congregations and the dynamics of Christian life and witness in a variety of contexts. Our conversation partners represent many areas of expertise and a range of Christian traditions, offering insights to challenge us as we discern the shape of faithful worship and witness in our own communities. In season four, we focus on ministry alongside youth by exploring five themes, youth agency, theological questions, the role of families and parents, intergenerational community, and multiple pathways for youth. Ben, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Glad to have you here.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: For all of you who are listening, Benjamin Connor is professor of practical theology and director of the Graduate Certificate in Disability and Ministry at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. And today I'm going to talk with Ben about a book he wrote. It's been out a few years, but it remains one of the only books on bringing together ministry alongside youth in the area of disability and disability studies. And the book that Ben wrote is called Amplifying Our Witness, giving voice to adolescents with developmental disabilities. So, Ben, thanks so much for the book. I'm really excited to hear you talk about it and ways we can learn and and find how the uh, area of disability and disability studies intersects and shapes and informs ministry with and alongside youth. Absolutely. So let's just begin by telling us the story behind the book. Why did you write it?
1: Well, I'd gone to do, uh, I was I was getting ready to go to Princeton Theological Seminary to do doctoral work in the area of mission, ecumenics, and history of religion. I was going there because Daryl Guter was there, and I was really impressed by his work. And uh, I was sitting on the couch reading to my son, who was seven years old at the time, and he had a seizure. And it's the first time I'd experienced a seizure up close. And it was, uh, frankly, unsettling. And we went through all the tests that you would typically go through. Um, Pediatric neurologists had MRIs and CAT scans. And what we learned is that my son, who I already knew, learned differently. Um, We had already decided to homeschool him because we realized that school wasn't the best. The way it was structured wasn't the best way for him to learn. We learned that he had had a stroke at birth and he was missing about a third of his brain. Today, he lives in an apartment with a friend, uh, works, has his own car, and is 25, almost 26. So that's that was a while ago. But at the time, uh, it, it introduced me to a whole new world of disability. You have to learn how to be an advocate. You have to learn about educational policies and medications and odd herb women. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you start to learn about when you get into the world of disability. So I was entering into that world while I was writing this dissertation on Christian practices. And I needed my two worlds to be connected a little bit more. And so I was thinking, how does my world Uh, with my son connect to the academic studies that I'm doing. Then one other thing happened. After I finished my comprehensive exams, I moved from Princeton back to Williamsburg, Virginia and started up a ministry to and with young people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I had the opportunity to put into practice these theories I was working on about faith development and how it doesn't have to be tied to developmentalism or, or stages of human development. In fact, we're really limited in our understanding of what faith is because we tend to understand it primarily through um, our rational capacities, mm-hmm. ability to articulate things, um, the capacity for abstraction, these sorts of things. And if you're dealing with people who may not have these, abilities then, then my impression was. They, they didn't have any place to go, but I saw that Christian practices were broad enough to include everyone, from children to elderly folks, from people who are Rhodes scholars to people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so I was so, I guess, moved by that, that when I wrote to Erdman's uh, to try to get my dissertation published, I wrote a little paragraph saying, I'd like to explore this further as well. And they wrote back and said, we're actually more excited about that project. Mm-hmm. So that's where the the book came from.
0: Thank you. And what have you been hearing and learning from those who engage your book? What stories are coming back to you?
1: Yeah. And it, so it's been received very well, but some of the feedback is the title's terrible, which I agree. It was a it was I was trying to have a thoughtful theological title, but it, for a Google search, it's going to take you to, you know, amplifiers and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So it was a I, it was a bad job on my part. So um, another thing I'm, I'm hearing is it needs to be it was 10 years ago. It right. needs to be updated. A lot of the information I had like on autism has changed. We've learned more about folks on the autism spectrum. Um, people want to think more through different disabilities rather than just intellectual and developmental disabilities. So uh, there will be another volume coming out. I'm in conversation for an updated version that will have the, uh, uh, you know, the non-sexy title of disability and <laughs> youth ministry so people can find it. Yeah, Um, But the other interesting thing that's happening is folks who read it, read it and say, this is just a book on youth ministry. Like, this is how youth ministry should be, in that it keeps in view the marginalized, it's practice-centered, it's not program-centered, it sees relationships as sacramental instead of instrumental, it talks about developing young people as leaders, appreciating their gifts, giving them opportunities to use them. And that's just good youth ministry. It's not disability youth ministry. But some of the unique insights that come from working with people who have been marginalized because of their intellectual and developmental capacities is that um, folks have taken that paradigm and used it with other marginalized people groups.
0: Wonderful. So here at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, where I work, we... um, Explore the intersections of public worship, but then every other aspect of of Christian life, including youth ministry, youth participation, faith formation, and we very much like you pointed out, see that as being they all inform each other. They they all um, complement and 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 uh, lift up each other, and so we're working on on looking at uh, ministry alongside youth through the lens of five key values. And so I wonder if we could take what you're learning, especially about how doing um, ministry alongside youth with developmental disabilities is just simply doing good youth ministry, how that um, comes up in the area of what we might call youth agency. So what, what thoughts might you share with us in that regard?
1: So, a uh, slogan of the disability rights movement was "Nothing about us without us mm. and I think uh, that that can be applied to thinking through youth theology and youth ministry as well, understanding youth as theologians. Now, one of the problems with youth in general is how they 're understood in society. they have sort of a a vacant Uh, identity they're not children and they're not adults that's how society understands them and and in fact there are books that are written that characterize adolescence which is the more sort of social scientific term for a youth There are books that characterize an adolescent as fundamentally disabled because Mm -hmm. of a still developing prefrontal cortex that that means they can't, uh, that, that they, they operate with passions and, and, and brashly. And we've heard all these characterizations of young people, and we've experienced some of them too, but we experience them with other folks as well. And so youth ministry is often talked about in terms of almost, it's almost like rehabilitation or keeping them safe until they mm-hmm. can be integrated in society as um, sort of valued contributing members. And uh, that's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem because what we're not doing in terms of youth agency is valuing the perspective that comes with this particular developmental stage that they're in right now. Ken Dean characterizes that. Ken Dean, the professor of youth ministry at Princeton Theological Seminary, characterizes that as their passion Mm-hmm. And she says the passion's there, it just needs to be properly oriented. But what the church is missing oftentimes is that youth passion because it's stuck in a in a in a youth room with a lopsided ping pong table <laughs> on a and a couch somebody didn't want instead of into the heart. And when it does come into the sanctuary, it's on youth Sunday, which is poorly attended. And the truth is that youth can speak into all the, all the aspects of what the church is doing and should have the, um, opportunities to express that agency. And so then youth passion, uh, can be received as a gift by the church instead of being feared.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's really celebrating all the members of the body, um, including those young people and, and, um, and the capacities they have that some of us perhaps have forgotten as we have aged. <laughs> yes. What about this idea of allowing and making space for youth to um, explore and ask questions? And and here too, now I want to be very sensitive to this um, idea of, of in disability and disability studies. Um, we're not always talking about cognitive. Practice, but sometimes there are other ways in which we can engage and make space for question asking um, with young people. So what might you um, offer us to help us think better about that?
1: Right. Yeah. As you mentioned, it's not just asking and exploring questions, but it's embodying spaces that have strict social rules that are challenging to understand uh, for people cross-culturally and for people Mm -hmm. with on the autism spectrum often. So how do we create spaces that make people feel safe to be there in the first place, to express themselves, and then to bring up things that uh, may be uncomfortable? And the first thing that we have to do is communicate to them through our presence, action, and words that they aren't going to somehow be devalued if they say things awkwardly, incomplete, incompletely or incorrectly, or you know, they have to know that I, this is a space where I can try things out and I'll still be welcomed next time. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it. In order to make a meeting space that way, it requires time together outside of the meeting space. In other words, if we're just thinking of programs and meetings as the place where youth are going to come and ask these questions, those those questions probably won't be raised. They're going to only be raised if young people feel safe because of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that means as youth leaders, we need to be there in the moments that are both in between and on the way. So it's in between this and that, on the way to this, after their games, at their lunch, after their lunch. Um, on you know rides to wherever these are the in between and on the way spaces that youth leaders need to be to develop the kind of intimacy that promotes vulnerability.
0: Mm. Yeah, for sure. And this reminds me of two of the real key words as I read your book, and that is friendship and hospitality, and. Strikes me that this is getting at both of those things very much.
1: Absolutely. And and it and it pushes them because hospitality in youth ministry, we like to think that we make hospitable spaces, but then we're controlling the environment, how people enter the environment. But we have to go into spaces that make us uncomfortable because people, especially young people with disabilities, won't know they have something to offer unless they have the opportunity to exercise hospitality themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. You are listening to Public Worship and the Christian Life, Conversations for the Journey, a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. Check out our website at worship.calvin.edu for resources related to this topic and many other aspects of public worship. Families and parents have a very unique role in the faith formation of young people. What are you learning in the area of disability studies about how we can encourage and support and not work against the role of families and parents.
1: Well, I learned quickly that when it comes to disabilities that parents are the experts, mm. they, they've, you have to, as soon as your child has a disability, you have a huge learning curve. And and I'm so impressed by the way parents dive into that and then they become advocates. Mm. And uh, there are disability moms that can be downright scary sometimes (laughs) because they're so used to having to fight for everything. They immediately get into that mode and and you have to tell them, wait, I'm on your team. I'm with you. I'm supporting you. So they want that support. And what they want more than anything is someone to have a relationship with their child who's not paid to do it. Mm. That's, it's not providing a service. It's not covered by insurance. It's just someone who loves their child and chooses them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the most important thing that we can do in youth ministry. And anyone can do that. That's the thing. We think you have to have these special skills to do ministry with young people with disabilities. But the, the biggest skill you have to have is being willing to be uncomfortable and learning to get through it. Early on, I also learned that youth ministry to and with young people with disabilities is family ministry. Mm. And that's not something I learned growing up in youth ministry. Uh, it, it, was, it was decades ago, obviously, and things have changed a lot. But then it was just you're hanging out with young people. You, you, you were sort of this uh, adult guarantor yourself. You were this person in their life who was a little bit older, who wasn't a parent, who wasn't a sibling, who was in support of the parents. Um, But I realized that uh, when I when we started this ministry in Virginia, a whole parallel ministry popped up, which was to and with the parents, providing Uh respite, support, creating a community of networking. um, And it was just one of the most remarkable things. And in fact, in this next book, um, which is an updated and expanded version of Amplifying Our Witness, I planned to interview the parents of the young people I was working with oh, 10 wonderful. years ago to see yeah. what their relationships are now and what they can teach me about maybe what was, what was good and what was, what could have been better about youth ministry 10 years ago.
0: Well, oh, that sounds wonderful. So very much related to families and parents. Would be intergenerational community that we get through the the church, and sometimes this is like grandparents, but other people in the community. And I wonder too, you know, to pick up on you said it doesn't take any real special skill set other than being willing to to be in relationship, to be uncomfortable, uh, maybe to expand your empathetic skills. But what what more can churches um, strive for in terms of intergenerational relationships as a way to love, support, and and encourage true connections with youth with disabilities?
1: So there are a number of ways, uh, but the, the one that most comes to mind is connected to this broad idea that disability is a fluid concept. We, mm-hmm. we think we know what disability is, but it gets it gets murky as soon as we get into it. Does it have to do with the diagnosis and an impairment? Does it have to do with social structures that exclude people? And then can you be disabled for a while and not disabled? We know you can become disabled by uh, accident, by birth mm-hmm. and by, and this is where it ties in, aging. right. So there are many people in our congregations many of them the awful term shut-ins but I'll say mm. members satellite members <laughs> who who want to be involved and connected and feel a sense of connection who from the standpoint of vocation are in the same place adolescents are in a sense these are the two most stressful times for vocation when you've retired And when you're an adolescent, Mm because in one, you're not sure what you're going to be. And there's so much pressure and it's all in front of you. And the other, it was your identity. And now it's behind you. You're trying to figure out who you were. We could get these two groups together. (laughs) And, And both of them feel marginalized, particularly adolescents with disabilities, older members of the congregation who are now more satellite members who can't be in Uh, Physical spaces with other folks, if we could bring them together in some way, I think it would be an amazing benefit to all.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful um, connection. You mentioned to earlier, many churches sort of fall into a rut of Youth Sunday or youth group held either while everyone else is worshiping in the big space or Sunday night, Wednesday night. But it's really this idea that we're separating youth in sort of one a one-way approach um, to church life. And I think what we're learning a lot here too at our, our work at the Worship Institute is that there has to be multiple pathways that we engage the the Christian life and the life of the church. And so, again, I wonder what you're learning from your work in, in practical theology, disability studies, about how multiple pathways can really help us to strengthen and encourage and connect well with young people
1: hmm. So I'll speak with in terms of young people, but particularly young people with disabilities. We tend to have a template that we use. So for, with young people, you pointed out the template. It's been called in a youth ministry journal, the one eared Mickey Mouse. So you got the whole body as the head and then the one ear is where the youth are and they don't really connect. But uh, but then we've integrated that when we do it, it's some sort of youth Sunday or a mission trip update. Mm. Something Like that. So but I think I think churches are getting better at integrating young people into all the areas of the church. And that's good. But when it comes to young people with disabilities. To many of the congregations I go to, it's handing out bulletins or being a greeter. Yeah. And, and so this is it's it's to say to somebody, this is the role that you can have if you want to participate instead of asking the person, what do you like to do? What what gets you excited? What are some of your interests? And then finding a mentor for that young person, particularly with intellectual and developmental disabilities, where they can partner with them in any area of the church that they want to. So I suppose the the pathways are always through other people. Mm, It's always through people that connect them and help them and mentor them to use their gifts and passions for the benefit and growth of the whole body in ways that are fulfilling and make a real contribution and then to acknowledge those and that's where amplifying our witness comes from to acknowledge those as true gifts to the church and that changes the whole mindset about what the possibilities are for this young person from the standpoint of social sciences that's called social role valorization In other words, now they have a social role that's valued by the community. And by affirming that you're lifting it up, they're getting dignity and other people are seeing them in a new role that sparks their imagination to think, hey, maybe they could do this. Maybe they could do that.
0: Right. Right. And it really speaks to um, never wanting to part mentalize or generalize any individual. We're all created unique. And so why not ask that or, or go to that individual to say, you know, share, share with me, you know, who you are, your uniqueness. And then that will, that will lead us to um, helping you flourish in your life.
1: Exactly. There's a, yeah. there's a well-known sort of dictum or slogan. Um, I can't remember exactly who said it, but it was, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, Ben, I'm really thrilled to hear you are working on an updated version of the the book, and so we will be eager to see see that when it comes out. As we close out this time together, I'm thinking of, of, I guess, pastors and youth pastors who have read your book or might want to pick it up again now, having seen this, heard this podcast, what parting words of encouragement or challenge Blessing would you give to those in pastoral roles in the church?
1: Two things as I think about it. One is vocation is a central issue for young people. Mm -hmm. And we need to start thinking about differently about vocation instead of this big scary noun, this one thing that you're going to do, and start talking about vocations. Instead of asking young people, what are you going to do when you grow up? Start asking them, What breaks your heart about the world? When do you feel most alive? Different kinds of questions to help them see uh, the primary vocation of being disciple has many different um, expressions in your life, and you'll have many, many vocations. Uh, So I think this idea of vocation is important. I've learned a lot from Kathleen Kahalen and her work. Instead of thinking about vocation as the noun, the one big thing to think Mm -hmm. of it in terms of prepositions, these connecting things, we're called through others, we're called with others, out of circumstances, into situations, Mm -hmm. and help young people to discern what's going on in their lives. And how are these opportunities and challenges shaping them to participate in a unique way with their gifts in God's ongoing redemptive work in the world? So that's one thing. And the other has to do with social media. Uh, don't be scared of social media. Obviously, there's all kinds of studies about the anxieties and medications that people are taking to deal with it, bullying, cyberbullying. But it's here. It's here. And so you can't pretend like it's not here. And so how do we think with youth, taking their insights, helping them to think critically about how do I live in a society that's structured this way in a way that's faithful and promotes flourishing for all. I think those are the two, two big issues in, in youth ministry right now. That, and I'll be addressing both of those also in the, in the upcoming work.
0: Thank you so much, Ben. Really appreciate your time and, and learning and hearing from you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. We invite you to visit our website at worship.calvin.edu to learn more about the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship, an interdisciplinary study and ministry center dedicated to the scholarly study of the theology, history, and practice of Christian worship and the renewal of worship in worshiping communities across North America and beyond.